Hey there, ghosties. Welcome to episode 88 of the Ghost Lights podcast. Today's guest is Billy McBride. She was there for one of my first auditions, and we captured a little bit of that embarrassing story. We talked about her vision to become an actress, the path that that took her down, and the regretless culmination of all that to this moment, and still so much more to come. Please subscribe and tell your friends today. Now it's time for War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Dan, you know what to do. This is the Ghost Lights Podcast, episode 88. Wow. And here you are. It's My age. A, get out of town. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you, don't, you don't look a day over 40. <laughs> Very sweet. Oh. I'm a nice guy. What can I say? Um, thank you so much for being here. It's been a while. We've been trying to like orchestrate this. And then I always do this really cool thing where like I'll ask somebody... And they'll be like, oh, I'm busy that week. I'm like, all right, no worries. We'll get back in touch. And then I forget like th- for three months. <laughs> and then three months turns into a year. And here we are. And here we are. And here we are. Thank you so much for being here with us. How are things? What's new? Uh, you just closed a show here, right? Yes. Yes. Same time next year. Oh, nice. Yeah, awesome. Lauren Bauman and Eric Mather. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Cherry Creek Theater. It was great. It's very, very hard to do theater during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because and especially doing a show where it's two people crawling all over each other, having an affair, mm. uh, and mm-hmm. and we had that that the Omicron was it Omicron yeah. mm-hmm. that was that everybody was getting, even if you happened to just walk by a doorway. Yeah. So uh, it it gave us some problems, but both of them were such pros that nice. um, and they were fun to work with. Good, good. Well, I I'm, I hope it was at the very least a successful run, in your opinion. I think it was. That's great. Nice. Do you have anything else lined up on the docket? Right now, I'm directing 22 children in Greece. My third time directing kids in Greece. Uh, It is center stage. Mm. That's in Louisville. Mm. And um, uh, we we cast it and started in March and... We have a very easy schedule, only nine hours a week. That's pretty damn good. Um, but um, but it's going well. We good. don't we don't really open it until the second week. I think it was a, it's about the second week of May. Okay. So yeah. we have plenty of time, and it's the young, the version, the high school version of it, that's shorter. Mm. Well, where that's Rizzo good. doesn't get pregnant. What? That's like the best part. <laughs> I know it has the best song, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. they're 11, 12, and 13, so, you know. <laughs> I think the only thing I remember about Greece is that the car drives away into the sky at the end. Can you, can you manufacture that? Do you have the no, budget for listen, it? Listen, I'm lucky to manufacture a set. Oh, okay. All right. With 22 kids. Oh, God. That's way too many kids. <laughs> I was a teacher. And, like, when all of them come out of the classroom at once to, like, go to the lunchroom, I'm sweating bullets there's too many of you you're all screaming and touching each other they don't like this i don't like this really good thing that we let them wear masks because they did a great bang-up job of doing staying safe 
But 22 kids well, for one good. show is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I, I used to do them at the JCC. Mm. I did uh, yeah. something like 15 years. Uh, and we'd have 40. Gosh. When you have to like tackle a show with that many pieces, like is that, how does that change the way you approach the process? Are you looking at, like, are you just like putting out extras, like people that are just in the background filling in? or? You no, know, the first thing you do is you give them vodka okay. around 9 o'clock in the morning, and That's then great. they're very docile, and you can just move them around. Nice. No. Oh, oh. Seriously. No, no, a lot of the kids that we used to get here had started when they were uh, – before they were teens, they mm. would start in the down in the Plus Theater, uh, mm. and then at the age of eleven, they were allowed to come up and audition for the bigger stuff. But we, mm. a lot of them, had already started voice lessons and and were dancers, and some were really good actors already. Mm. And so it was a it was a treat. Casting the day of casting was always hard because everyone wanted to be the lead. Oh yeah, but. Um, but for the most part, it was a great deal of fun. 72 hours. I counted up once. From the day we walked in, it was exactly 72 hours later, we were sitting in there, and the very first performance was happening. And we didn't do the short versions. We always did the long versions. Wow. Uh, I still remember doing A Man of La Mancha, and it was so good. Mm. That great I had great choreographer, great musical directors. Steve always, Steve Wilson always brought mm-hmm. in really good people. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Big ups to Steve. We got to get him on the pod, Dan. Yeah, and he'll talk to you about the center stage where where he is now. The I think artistic producing manager or something. Oh, sweet. There, yeah. So is that like the, that the connection that brought you back up? Yeah, there? that's great. That's great. I I still think I mean just the scope of managing so many people. For a show like any any one of those shows, it just I mean that's that's quite an undertaking, and the fact that you did that for how many years? Fifteen. I was 15. I think it was close to fifteen years. Yeah. That's that's a lot. That I mean. Yeah. Yeah. To your point, we definitely had twenty something chorus members. So yes, yeah. it was it was your your regular cast. Mm. Sometimes they'd be double cast if there was too good, and they'd trade mm. off. But for the most part, a, a regular cast and then, okay, the three people over here are now 12 people over yes. here. And wow. let's just move you around in large groups. And, you know, some of mm. the younger kids, they only got on when there was a big dance number and they got one line to yell out in the group scene. And they had to earn their way up. Uh, oh, gosh. Like by, yeah. by ninth grade, they could be getting some good roles mm-hmm. is, is there any particular kid you want to take the time out right now and, and tell them off <laughs> no actually no we had Listen here brenda <laughs> we we really had good kids good. um there were there were kids who had obvious difficulties problems of some kind but mm. but they theater that's that's what it is about the arts and mm. theater um, is that when they become somebody else up there and you let them be that somebody else, um, they forget all that stuff that keeps them locked in their bedroom, mm-hmm. you know, not, not wanting to come out. They, um, not, I learned a lot from these kids, and, uh, and I think they learned a lot from uh, all of us who worked with them. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad you don't, don't have, harbor any ill will toward No, I love kids. Okay, good. Yeah, me, not so much. <laughs> so anyway, moving right along. 
<laughs> Says the guy with the troubled past. Anyway, um, Billy. Yes. Theater. Mm-hmm. How did it happen to you? Well, I grew up in a tiny little town in the Midwest okay. called Leroy, Illinois. And one morning, and this is all very true, one morning I was lying in bed, nine years old. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen a play. We had, we had uh, a movie theater in town, but they mostly we saw cartoons. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a TV yet. My dad waited quite a while before he got one. And, um, but for some reason, I literally got out of, I, I sat up and thought, I want to be an actress. Now, I'm not even sure I knew exactly what I was t- thinking or talking yeah. about, but that was the decision I made. So I went out to my mother, and I said, I decided what I want to be when I grow up. And she said, what? I said, an actress. And mom said, well, actresses have to be really pretty and very talented. And I didn't, I knew I wasn't really pretty. I had buck teeth, and she'd cut my hair in a bowl haircut and buggy eyes. So I knew that might be a problem. Um, and talent, I could look up. I could yeah. look that up and figure out what that was that I had to have. And so I didn't say anything back to her. I didn't say, oh, well. I guess I won't do that. I just walked away, and I thought, well, I'm not going to tell anybody. So that is pretty much what I wanted to do from the age of nine until, well, we're sitting here right yeah. now. And um, and so I, I, I we, there were no classes to go to, no voice classes. There were no things like the JCC. There was no acting classes. There was nothing like that. So I just kind of watched other people as I got a little bit older. Mm. I finally got into high school and got into a play. And, uh, and that really, of course, the minute you hear people laugh, mm. that's what you want to do always. Uh, and I was a musician. I was a pianist and I was a French hornist. And I had already been accepted to college mm-hmm. to go uh, to be a piano major and a French horn minor and obviously be a vo- you know, a teacher for the mm. rest of my life. And um, the guidance counselor at the high school called me up and said, what are your, what are your plans? And I said, well, I've already been accepted at Illinois State University, mm. um, and we're going to, and I'm going to be a music major. And she said, you don't want to do that. And I barely knew this woman. And yeah. I said, what do you mean? And she said, I've watched you over these last four years, and every time they ask you to get out of your seat, put the French horn down and go stand at the mic to narrate something, then you come alive. Mm. Then I see exactly what you, be- you, you belong doing. Yeah. So I said, well, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, there's the other university, and they have a really great theater department. I said, I know, but they won't give me a scholarship. Mm. I have no experience. I mean, no experience except two little plays. And um, she said, if I were you, I would, I would do it. I would try to do it. So I went in and I auditioned for in front of all the upperclassmen at this college and so many people. And I could tell they were laughing. Mm. I did five characters from the play Harvey and I played <laughs> each and every one of them. I didn't know what to do and the head of the theater department after they all stopped giggling handed me a monologue from Liz Estrada and he said go out and work on this and then come back in and I so I went out and I read through it I'd never I didn't know that was Greek theater I didn't know anything so I worked on it and I came back in and I did the monologue and he stopped and gave me some direction and I did it again 
And then they said, thank you. And I went back and thought, thank God I've got a scholarship to become a music major. Because even I knew at the time that I was going to be in trouble. But they contacted me not long after that. Hmm? Was your fly down too? No. If it had been, I probably would have gotten a bigger scholarship. (laughs) (laughs) Because they did. They they let me in. They gave me uh, a very little itty-bitty scholarship. And... um, I finally asked that, the head of the department one day, what were you thinking? And he mm-hmm. said, well, it was when you did the monologue, that you read that monologue, that we saw something and decided it was worth bringing you in to see mm. to see what you were going to be capable of doing. Yeah. And so here I am now still doing it after all those years. So that's how I started and got into theater. Yeah. When you made, once you got accepted in, you started doing the work, how, how, how big did this world get to you then? It well, it got big because of the people that were there. There were so many amazing human beings in, in that, that four years that I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them has, that kids, the guys I went to school with, Richard Jenkins, of course, been nominated for a couple of Academy Awards mm-hmm. and does and tons of film. And and he was, you know, he was just this wonderful, and he still is, this wonderful, sweet guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the things I could learn from each and every one of those people, people who ended up on Broadway, people who ended up with TV shows, uh, m- the majority of them ended up going on and becoming pretty successful. Wow. Wow. So it opened up, it, it, it opened up theater to me. I didn't know anything about it really mm-hmm. and so it kind of opened it all up to me mm. do you think that you had an innate talent or was that something that you started then crafting and working on once you started understanding that oh no there's there's classes and things to learn like as you talked about having this kind of raw green background yeah. at this audition and just kind of i mean for lack of a better metaphor just throwing something at the wall and hoping something stuck yeah like what were some of the like, like I said, did the did you feel like oh no, this has always been here, or did you have to like work and? You know, uh, I I've always had a great imagination, and, mm-hmm. I, and I've always kind of lived in my head. And I will say that in high school, one of our um, actually what got which got me the first part in the first play I did mm-hmm. is is our English teacher asked us to write a comedy monologue. Okay. And uh, everybody wrote wrote them. And I wrote one about two guys breaking into a nursing home <laughs> to not realizing that's what they were doing. <laughs> and I, so every, we all had to get up in front of the class and do them. And I think I was one of the last people to get up in front of the class to do mine. And everybody laughed a lot. And I thought, this is great. So the teacher liked it so much, she sent me around <laughs> all the classes. She called ahead to, to the teachers and said, I'm sending her in to do this. You guys have got to hear this crazy um, imagination this little girl has and um, so I think all I think it was in there that I don't think I would have even thought to do that had somewhere mm-hmm. in a past life um, but it's all I wanted to do yeah. I never wavered ever mm-hmm. I never I'm and, and the funny part about going to the college I did is they didn't teach acting you learned it by doing it, and they taught pretty much everything else, but that, that's one thing they didn't. We got one improv class, about three or four weeks of an improv class. They brought a, a man in from New York, and he 
he worked with us quite a bit on it. But mm. you, I really learned how to do it. My, my greatest talent in, in college was I knew what wasn't good, and I knew what was good. Mm. So I watched, and I watched both. I wanted to see who was good and why they were that good and take it apart. And then when I then would audition, mm-hmm. I would work really hard on trying to do the good things as opposed to the things that I knew really weren't workable. When when you say you had that ability to, to clock what felt functional and what didn't, yeah. what how did you delineate between the two? You know, I, I have no idea. It was one of those things where I knew, it was later on, but mm. I would look at somebody the way they walked across the stage and I would think, that's not right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would look at somebody as they would begin a scene of, uh, and I would think, oh my gosh, that is, that's incredible. Mm. I'm actually believing this. I'm actually caught up in it. Mm. Um, and so I think that's what it was. I didn't, I actually never studied acting until I was in New York City and I'd been there for maybe, I don't know, 10 years. Mm. And somebody said to me, you really should have an acting class on your resume because mm-hmm. that, that's a big deal in New York for people to do. So somebody recommended um, a guy named Albert Tavares, who was a casting director, but also a very good acting teacher. And I took three months from him. Um, and I learned an enormous amount about what I was doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Um and what I and where I needed to kind of let go. Uh-huh. How how young were you when you when you were in New York and learning that? Uh, when I moved to New York straight out of well, a couple of years after I got out of yeah. college, um, uh, and I so I was twenty one maybe. Okay. I think I was about yeah. twenty one, and uh, and I was lucky. I had uh, my assistantship, and the reason I got some money from college was to do properties. Mm -hmm. And I loved artwork and I loved doing all sorts of things and creating things. And um, we did Marat Saad and I remember creating the severed heads and and Mm -hmm. all the various things that we did. And um, so I, 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 was I got a job after, out of college working at the Studio Arena Theater in Buffalo, New York, running the properties department. Okay. Not what I wanted to do, but at least I was close to a theater. A foot in I, the door. They brought in all these actors, mm. say I want to do from New York, and um, I met uh, several of them. And one of them said, "When you come to New York, mm-hmm. I will put you up." And you, until you can find a place to live, until you can get started. So it was about a year and a half later that I contacted that actress and wow. said, uh, decided to do it. And uh, she said, fine, because uh, she was in and out a lot. Her fiancé was somewhere else. And mm. So she was in and out a lot of the apartment, and I was able to look after her animals. So nice. so I, I got on a, a bus and, and took a bus all the way from Illinois to New York City and got off at Port Authority and walked to her apartment which was all the way over on first avenue and um and and then and so i had somebody who told me this is something you should try to do this is something you should try to do mm. uh to get me kind of started yeah. and the luckiest thing for me was that i um uh i was and i was there alone one day and the phone rang and it was a woman said is joan there and i said no 
can mm. I take a message? And she said, well, who are you? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm a friend of hers, and I'm staying here, and young actress trying to get going in the theater here. And she said, what do you look like? <laughs> and I said, oh, at the time I had long red hair, and I said my hair's red and long, and, and I have blue eyes, and, and um, you know, I'm five foot three, and mm. I said fairly thin. And she said, oh, would you do me a favor? And I said, what? And she said, would you... Um, would you come in to CBS and do uh, some modeling work for us? Because we're putting together something, and we need a model with that exact kind of coloring. And if you do this for me, uh, I will. Uh, I'll make sure you get some a bunch of work on the shows. And so, <laughs> I know, I know. Jesus. And so I went in, and they paid me. I mean, at the time, they paid me fifty dollars an hour to sit in a room. And, and be photographed and videoed, constant videoing. You have those and, photos, right? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, no, no. And I was fully clothed. Um, but, uh, but, and she was good Keep to her clean, word. She, <laughs> she got me a bunch of work on there. Yeah. So I never, uh, I, I was never a horrible struggle. Then my yeah. friend got me, because of the soap opera, uh, they got me into a place called the Rehearsal Club, which is no longer there, but it was like Stage Door. Mm. Remember Stage Door, the movie, where all the girls live in, a, in this in New York City, and they live in this big house, and they all have rooms and the place to eat, and Catherine Hepburn did the film. and oh. But that's what it was. It was on 53rd Street and between 5th Avenue and 6th Avenue, a big old brownstone right down the street from... Um, Modern, the modern art, MoMA, mm -hmm. and um, $40 a week plus two meals, breakfast and dinner, and um, you had a room and a bathroom, and uh, downstairs was a, a rehearsal studio, so you could go down there, and I, because I played piano, I'd go down, and I would, if girls had singing auditions, I'd go down and play for them, and mm -hmm. or I'd go with them at times. Um and so that, my living conditions were, were taken care of, yeah. and, and I was making a decent amount of money. I got a job as a hat check girl at the Copacabana, <laughs> the old Copacabana, uh, oh, you know, yeah. run by the boys. Uh-huh, <laughs> yeah, I believe, I believe there's quite the iconic scene that takes yeah. there, yeah. But I, I loved New York. I loved it. I, yeah. I, even though I came from a little town in Illinois, I, it always felt like home to me, and I kind of grew up there. That's where I... And I still struggled mm. because I didn't have experience or the wherewithal and, and, um, and very shy. Yeah. Um, and, I w and, of course, it was before cell phones. It was before computers. You had to have answering machines. Mm. Uh, or, and before that, when I first got there, you had to have a service. You paid a service and you called them. You had to keep carry quarters around. That's when there were, actually were places you could make phone calls on the street. <laughs> Um, but I, I think it's probably the luckiest, best thing that ever happened to me. It sounds amazing. I mean, I don't even, I, I've never heard of a place like that for professionals. You talk about this house where you're housing. It's all girls. 42 all, of us. Yeah. All, uh, Carol all Burnett. Working. Carol Burnett. She started there and Sandy Duncan started there. Blythe Danner. Uh, there's two or three other gals whose names I don't remember and they had that's where they got their start 
and the, and the, a lot of them that were in there were somebody would open the front door and yell, "They're seeing people at the Morosco, mm. and uh, they need this and this and this and this and this." And you'd hear people grabbing pictures and down the stairs. <laughs> Heading for the Morosco backstage to either sing or read for somebody or at mm. least just get interviewed. So oh, wow. it was a wonderful time to be in New York. Yeah. Like, we, need, we need art communities like that. We need to fund those. Mm-hmm. I feel like they, I mean. It's no longer, I mean, because it was 50, 53rd Street Fifth Ave, between Fifth Avenue and mm-hmm. uh, they tore it down. Wow. Uh, and it, there, but the girls that had been there for years got together and there is an organization and they are looking to buy a place where they can start helping young actresses again. Oh, so, that's great. Yeah. Well, nice. Yeah. You talked um, specifically about you started working with this Alberta Tavares mm-hmm. and, and, and he started helping you see what you weren't quite accomplishing at that stage yet. Does that send you for a loop, like a tailspin, or does that just make you work harder? Oh, no, it made me work harder. It made me realize that's, maybe that's why this doesn't work, and maybe mm. that's why I'm not getting work. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest problems that I had was I've always sounded like this, mm. but I looked 17. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was, it was hard for me to go in for an ingenue because I didn't sound like what people thought ingenues were supposed to sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I actually ended up getting a national tour because I sounded, I looked young and sounded older. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that had always been a little bit of a difficulty because at the time, you know, they typed. You went mm-hmm. out on, you walked across the Broadway stage, you'd stand on the stage, and they would literally walk mm-hmm. down the li- line and, and they would say, okay, you stay, you stay, you stay, you stay. And the rest of you, thanks. And you've been there for five hours standing in line waiting to get in wow. just to be told thanks. Mm. Carol Burnett, though, I have to tell you this wonderful story. When she was at the, at the rehearsal club and a bunch of girls got together mm-hmm. and they knew about this typing and they were all having problems with it. They all bought one red dress that fit them all mm-hmm. that could, you know, be tied in the back or whatever so it would fit everywhere if anybody had a a big audition like that they got to wear the dress and always the person would say oh and you Mm -hmm. oh yeah so yeah red red because that that you know but people new york city dressing in charcoal gray and black uh and so seeing a bright color like that immediately brings you then they look at you Mm -hmm. so yeah it's a quite a time. Yeah, you, when you're, d- I'm, 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 I'm struggling with this. This, you know, you're struggling to accomplish something in your career, and you have this thing that you can't help. Are they like training your voice? Are they trying to train you out of that, or no? No, I and I never really wanted it Good. to. I got, uh, uh, I got voiceovers there. Okay. Um, no, it wasn't anything anyone thought about. Okay. And nor did I give any thought to it whatsoever. Mm. That's what I'd always sounded like. And, mm. and a great many people liked my voice. Mm-hmm. It just not for stage work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I started to get work and I, uh, I, and I, and I, I did summer stock and I did dinner theater and, um, 
Uh, and then I, because I, in when I was in college, I took it all very seriously. Yeah. I learned how to, to be a lighting designer. I really found all that so fascinating and so very dramatic. And I learned how to, of course, I did props. And um, so I, 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 I was the person, the head of the crews for building sets. Uh-huh. I didn't do costumes because... There were just a bunch of girls down there <laughs> sewing. <laughs> I'd rather hang with the guys if, with a buzzsaw. So uh, I knew how to do all of those things. So my, the, which was lucky for me because I ended up getting stage management jobs in New York. Yeah. And which then began to lead to getting, getting uh, work there as an actor. So Yeah, yeah I, I've always called myself a backdoor uh, backdoor actress I, that I I slipped in through the back door, but I refused to leave. Yeah. And every, and I would walk up this staircase and I'd walk up that staircase until I've reached that point of where I wanted to be, and then and then I was perfectly happy. Let's I, I, I love hearing that the, your background and all these other fields that make performance possible, or at least as rich of an experience as it can be. Yeah. Is what, like, in certain cases, kept you in the kept you in the building mm-hmm. once you got inside. Yeah, it, to have that, it, it it speaks to like you know the quality of the work you were doing and the quality of person that you were. Because I mean, there's there's a line there's a line between those two things, mm-hmm. being a good person and the work that you can do. Some people can tolerate you if you're really good at your job <laughs> for oh so long, and then you know, and then there's other people who will. Who will make excuses for the lack of quality in the work if you're a quality person, you know? Like, so to have both of those things in your back pocket, part of your training, like, I, I don't know. I I feel like that's that's something that we used to do, give students mm-hmm. all of these tools, and now it's more specialized. Yeah, and we are we're going to focus when we don't take it away from them. I mean, yeah. So so much of art is being taken away from kids because people don't think that it's necess- nearly as necessary as get, as getting that kid out on a soccer field or a b- basketball or yeah. or football and it's so unbelievably important the difference between young people that I've worked with who go on in life doing whatever any number of things, uh, whether it's the theater or whether they just go on, they they will always tell me later. Mm. It being in the theater, being being a part of a group like that, mm. and learning as much as we learned has really set me up for anything I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And yet we keep taking it away from our children. Mm. Why do you think that is? <laughs> Fix it for me. Fix it for you. Because I'm, I, I wish, totally agree with you. I wish I could. Yeah. I wish I could. Yeah. It's it, what's been really cool about what you just said there is. So you, the direct experience of you being in this house with thirty other people, give or take the week, that are all working in something in the artistic field. There's a built-in community to that Mm -hmm. but then there's this learning this other community that comes from learning all these different tasks and and building being having a hand in the building of a project together that bonds people together and then through that they're finding their voice you talked about how earlier when i was so hoping he would like 
pick out a child for the past because I don't know why I started out on a vindictive note <laughs> for fictional children. But, <laughs> but you talked about how you could get them comfortable and keep them happy by giving them the opportunity to experience somebody else. Mm-hmm. To be somebody else. Yeah. Now, you know, I honestly believe that most actors, that that is, that's, an awful lot of actors aren't really secure in their own skin and ex- secure in being who they are. And so we want to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't even know that's why we want to do this. We, but but if, you, if you're somebody who's filled with anger, mm-hmm. but, but you've, Taught, been taught that that's not the right thing mm-hmm. and you get a role where you get to scream your lungs out on stage it is therapeutic you can't find a psychiatrist who's going to give you as, <laughs> as good of advice yeah. as being able to play a character that releases you from that stress and the tension and and you and you can be brave on stage because mm-hmm. that's what you're playing mm-hmm. Uh, loving you can you can discover so many things about the po- potential of yourself mm-hmm. By creating different people, mm-hmm. man, the, you learn. You learn what you, you talked about being brave. You learn what that feels like mm-hmm. in certain cases by, you know, being the hero. By being or, the brave person. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's that's awesome. You transition out of New York when, and is that you go straight to? Colorado? No, no. I left New York, um, went to uh, New Hampshire. Oh. The AIDS epidemic had really taken a lot out of me and a lot of the people in the city. And Mm. I was doing Torch Song Trilogy at the time of of it hitting really, really bad in in the theater community. Mm -hmm. And doing a show like Torch Song Trilogy, we were open to have cases of it. Mm. And um, I had been to more memorial services, and I'd watched so many boys die, and um, I just didn't think I could bear any of it anymore. So I, I decided to move to New Hampshire, and I thought, and I was still pretty relatively young. I, I don't know what I really thought I was going to do, but mm. um, and I was up there for three years, and it just was not the right place for me. Mm. You can't spend 20 years in New York City and then go to a place that's primarily all white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, I said, I don't, there's no, there's nothing for me here. I did, I did do several good, really good theater things and, um, and was able to, to uh, continue creating things. Um, but then one day I, I said I, to friends, uh, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're going to Colorado, mm. and we got these incredibly cheap tickets, and you could probably, and they still have them, so get one of those tickets and come out with us, and we'll all talk about it, and you figure out what you, what you want to do. So on the way, as I was thinking about it, I got my ticket, and I, and I went there, and we went to the airport and got on the plane, and I'm thinking, I should just move to Colorado. I don't know, what, you know, people ask mm. me why I moved here. I still don't know why, because <laughs> I still don't know you haven't decided you're not 100 sold was. in Colorado yet. No, I'm very, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sold, but um, but I did. That's what I did. Is I rented a car and they went on up into the mountains and to to Snowmass, and I rented a car and I found an apartment. Hmm. 
And then I went up and joined them and had a great time and relaxed. And all of a sudden felt good again and, and then flew home and packed up everything in New, in, uh, New Hampshire and, and rented a U-Haul, uh, not a U-Haul, but a big truck, mm-hmm. came and picked everything up. And I got my car and drove to Colorado and I've been here ever since. Wow. wow. <laughs> where, yeah. where did you start working theatrically when you got settled in. I could not get arrested in this place. <laughs> film and television. I got a lot of film on a lot of TV. Mm. I had a great agent, Patty Kingsbaker, and she she got me work that I probably shouldn't have gotten mm. because I was, you know, it was for a guy, but she would talk him into seeing me, and then I'd end up getting that male judge part as a female. And oh, nice. She did a lot of stuff, but the only really union theaters in town were uh, Arvada mm. and uh, the Denver Center. And the Denver Center was kind of a closed shop. Mm-hmm. So there really wasn't any work at that time to be gotten there. And um, and Arvada, they did, I don't know, four or five shows, five, I think four shows a year at that time. Mm-hmm. And I would go to auditions for things. i get called back, and it would usually be between me and, and somebody else. And I, then I never got so I was about ready to leave and go back to New York and uh-huh. thought, well, I gave up a $330 apartment in Midtown Manhattan that I had. Yes, I had gotten very lucky when I moved there. I found a place in Midtown, walk up, five-floor walk up, for $135 on 45th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. Man. I know, I know. Man. And the rent went, it probably would have been cheaper than 330 when I left, but I kept thinking I'd move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not have to walk up all those flights um and i was gonna i was thinking i would go back even though i was gonna have to hunt for a place to live and probably end up in brooklyn or queens but mm-hmm. um but i then i decided to uh, audition for one last show at arvada mm-hmm. and it was moon over buffalo and i walked in thinking yeah yeah i'll probably get called back and then i won't get it but it was Bev Newcomb came walking out into this, you know, down the hallway. That they have that what they call the green room, but it's just a big long hallway. Yeah. And I was sitting out there, and Bev walked in, and I had met her a couple of times. And as she walked in, she said, "Well, am I glad to see you?" And I thought, "Well, yeah, yeah, yeah sure." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I ended up getting it and uh, did that run. And Terry Dodd came to me after it was over and said, would you come and audition for the fall show there? And I said, yes, and it was Picnic, and I got that. And so the work just began to start coming, and then I began directing. Uh, I did a bunch of directing at the Fine Arts Center in Colorado Springs, and then Arvada had me start doing a bit of it. So uh, so I ended up not going back. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Do you ever work at Germinal? I didn't. Oh, I used okay. to go and see things there. Okay. He used to do a lot of really good work. Yeah. No, absolutely. I was, I was wondering if you were one of the. I was talking with Eric Sandvold, the backstage. One of my new favorite hobbies is, the show comes to a close, and me and him will stick around after everyone's left and have an extra glass of tequila. Yeah, and we'll talk. <laughs> and we were talking about the old germinal space and all the photos that were on the wall. And for some reason, I just had, I had like in my head, like, oh, there's Billy's on the wall. Billy did a show there for sure. No, no, he he didn't do union mm-hmm. stuff yeah. and. Um, but I didn't live terribly far away from there. So, okay. and, and Erica Barillo had become a very good friend, as had Deb Persoff, and they both worked there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if they were doing something, I always tried to get over and see whatever they were doing. In fact, I saw an extraordinary production that Erica did of, um, gosh, uh, Eugene O'Neill. 
the name was there, and now the name just it was it's the really long one. Oh, Long Day's Journey into Night, yeah. and uh, and it was a really amazing three hour and thirty three hour and thirty four uh, forty five minutes piece that. Uh, it was it was really incredibly good work. So mm-hmm. I always had was very impressed by Ed and what he created there. Mm-hmm. Have you stayed Union this whole time, or mm-hmm. is there nice nice? What do you find? Is there a difference between what you've experienced in your Union career as opposed to what you find your friends who aren't Union do? Is there just just we get paid more money? <laughs> <laughs> That. Um, you know, if it, it's that we a lot of the theater companies now can do these small theater contracts, and it's not very much money. I mean, it's really a pitiful, poor amount of money. A lot of people do it strictly to get their weeks, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but it's a small amount of money. But uh, what? But we always are getting paid. Mm-hmm. We will always get paid. Whereas. If you work at some of the the smaller venues, they will get a stipend, and that is and 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 it's stipend in every sense of that word. Mm-hmm. These really extraordinarily talented people, who work all day long, eight hour day, you know, eight hours a day, five or six hour days a week, and then come out and spend their nights until ten or eleven o'clock at night, because they love doing it. Um, but I, you know, there's an enormous amount of talent in this town, both union and non-union. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think I've never been one that thinks because you have a union card you're more talented than anybody else. Yeah. Um, I just, it's great for me because it it gives me a pension, mm-hmm. and um, so. Yeah. You know, I know I've got I know that I can count on it. Mm-hmm. And I've been lucky enough to work in almost every single theater mm-hmm. in town because of they've they've coughed up a few bucks to get an, a union contract. Absolutely. We're talking about the the relationships you had with some of the people that were in the community then like have you noticed a change in the Denver theater community over the course of your time here as a oh, guy? Yeah. Is it is it what it's bigger? Ti- There's bigger? more people. They're they're better. People, uh, young kids who are graduating from UNC, amazingly talented young people, are staying. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they go to New York and spend a little time there or go to L.A., they, they will more times than not end up coming back here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's added to, uh, it's, it's given us a really juicy talent pool here. Yeah. Uh, and I still do directing, and I so I, I try to go see as much theater as I can to see what's out there. And the, and I'm astonished at the talent that has hung around here and that it's really grown a lot. And the number of theaters. Mm. When I first got here, there really were not a great many theaters, but now there are so many. And they survive, many of them survived the pandemic. Yeah. When people thought, oh, well, there won't be anything left after not being able to do work, boy, people found a way to survive. Mm-hmm. And the theaters are opening and doing stuff and and uh and getting us all back to work so i've noticed a great change Mm. you don't feel that uh, the number of theaters in the community is like say like cause like an oversaturation i don't think so i know that there are some people who've said that Mm. um and i don't feel that way because i love to go to theater so the more theaters the happier i am (laughs) uh but um 
but they're struggling. They're struggling mm. because we don't have newspapers anymore, really. We yeah. don't have reviewers that go see everything. Um, so it makes it difficult for the, these theater companies who are on a shoestring, mm. who do really, really good work, to get people in to see the shows because people don't know that it's happening. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, that's something I've always thought every theater company should get together and figure out how they can make it happen, how they can make help each other. Because mm. if you help each other, you're helping your own theater as well. Absolutely. So, um, But I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just an actor. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Not Try a producer. Trying to figure out how to like get people to work together and be had that be a success for long term in that regard of like yeah. promoting these other theater companies that might not have the means to get noticed. Yeah. That is definitely a, a, a tough sell in certain yeah. areas. It, it, do you feel like with the lack of having newspapers, is that like been the, is that been like the, the biggest negative change that you've witnessed or? I mean, as far as theater yeah. is, in town, I don't think it's the, it's the biggest negative change. Mm. Um, I just think, you know, we, uh, televisions and, and people gaming and there's so much to do that it used to be that the theater was what you did on a, an evening or you mm -hmm. would go see a movie, but now people aren't even leaving yeah. their homes. Mm, no, I hear that for sure. Awesome. Um, oh no, <laughs> scary door slam in the back. Hello. I heard voices. I got scared, Dan. <laughs> all right we're safe we're, we're safe, safe. No, okay. one, no one's coming to, no, no one knows we snuck in here to do this that's huh? right that's right, well, right. quick billy give me your glass i'll give you some more wine <laughs> wine well i never drink wine uh, yeah I, I know i'm really sorry that i kind of I, I forced this on you i apologize <laughs> a little bit i don't know at this stage I, I'm, I'm curious what is that ghost light you wish was left on for you? What's that piece of advice you wish you had when you got started that mm. you'd hand off to the next generation, the people on the come up? I think probably it would be if you want to do this, mm. if this is really, really what you want to do, I wish that somebody had given me the kind of knowledge to about pictures and resumes, about... Mm how to put together a bunch of monologues, about what to expect if you go to, I mean, the only place you're gonna have any success, so if you go to these really big cities, um, if you, that's what you wanna do for a living. Uh, and I, I literally went there to New York City with no knowledge of what I should do. I didn't, I had a picture which still makes me giggle whenever I look at it. I look very serious in it. Mm. And um, and but and I had fortunately people helped me find photographers that would do give me my first headshots mm. and and at the time you know you had to have a voiceover tape if you wanted to do that kind of work and to figure out how to do that and find the money to do it. Um, but it's all the the whole business of the business mm -hmm. is one thing I didn't know anything about. Later on, I did actually write a. Um, a program to 
to give to students whenever I whenever I was asked to to go to a university to talk to them uh, about the things to expect after graduation. they graduated yeah. if they were interested in continuing it. Um, and now they are being it's much better now universities are being a, a lot better about giving them that kind of information but that's kind of what I wish I you know I, I was a I was kind of a, a loner secret loner little girl that wanted mm-hmm. to, wanted something and I, I was afraid somebody tell me I couldn't do it so I didn't really talk about it so th- there isn't anything anyone could have helped me with because I didn't ask for help. Mm. Later, when I got to New York, I thought, oh, I wish somebody had taught me that yeah. in college. Um, but other than that, you know, I have no regrets with my life. Yeah, that's wonderful. You still have, I mean, th- th- this sounds darker now that I'm about to say it, but there is still so much that you, are, you have yet to accomplish. So, when, uh, but uh, when you say I have no regrets up to the stage, like yes, absolutely, that's great news. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, I, and the, I don't know if you uh, this happened to you, but uh, but a great many actors went through that whole year of pandemic and began to question whether they wanted to continue this, and uh, and I I was one of them. I, oh. I I gave a lot of thought to do I really want. To, to do this anymore. And um, obviously, <laughs> in 2021, I did four shows, so I yeah. guess I still wanted to. Yeah. I'm, I'm, but I'm with you, though. That was de- I've, I've, I shared that thought for quite a long time. I mean, 2020 was, was tough. And we did a lot of uh, online Zoom plays, and th- those were enough to scratch an itch. Mm. And I, I definitely, you know, I, since I was doing them, I defended them wildly. And then once they stopped, sorry, excuse me, once they stopped happening with frequency, it was like, okay, yeah, I need to, I, I need the real thing, or I don't, don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, there's just something about being in the space with people. Yeah. Even, yeah. even if there's like only twenty in the room of a of a hundred and fifty yeah. seat house, you're like. That's why I've never wanted to do a one-woman show, mm. because I got in the theater to be with people. Yeah, I don't want. I would be the only person there, me and the stage manager, and uh, and, and whoever might be helping me change clothes. But <laughs> I, it's really true. Yeah, I've done uh, several two-handers, and I've thought, God, it's lonely. Yeah, I mean, two-hander can be fun, especially if they give me a long monologue <laughs> and a spotlight. Thank you, Stephen Weitz. Right, Dan. Um, yeah, but uh, it. <laughs> What's that, Dan? Uh, <clears throat> no, that's, yeah. no, no, just, no. We just we're just winking at yeah. each other. Oh, <laughs> I I don't understand why you could possibly be doing that. I'd like to take the time out of this uh, Ghost Lights podcast to talk about me, Sam Gilstrap. <laughs> Do you like me? Please tell me so. Oh, it's God. a podcast. It's no a one's pod- gonna answer. No, one, yeah. no one's gonna listen. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious. You said that you thought about: is this something that you wanted to keep doing, or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, through the book, like, what else would you do? Mm. Well, then that was the question I asked myself: <laughs> What would I do? You know, I thought about. Well, I've always wanted to have more time to travel, um, kick back, put my feet up, not actually worry about going doing anything, not worrying about sitting down and memorizing four thousand pages. Who knew old women in plays? Talk all the time. All the time. 
God. Oh, is it crazy? They're, you know, quite often they're the leads. Yeah. And the younger people, who, who it's not difficult for them to learn all those lines, sit and listen to you do your monologues. <laughs> it's called graduation. They got, still got work to do. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. I really didn't. Uh, I couldn't figure out what I would do. So I just decided that if people still ask me or I saw a project that I wanted to audition for, um, that I would keep doing it. Mm. Well, you talked about briefly... The, the memorizing 4,000 lines, how would you describe your process? I, I do, what I do is I, uh, I put all my cues on ta- tape. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I begin from the very beginning. And that's kind of where my character begins coming from. You know, the first read, ah, oh, this is what it's about. Second read through, this is what it's about. Ah, oh, I just heard that line. And I go through it. And so by the time I know the entire script, and I always learn my scripts before I ever step into a rehearsal room, mm. because then I don't have to run home and try to learn lines late at night after a rehearsal. And I can play already. I can start playing with things like the director can start giving me direction other than walk here walk there do this do that so uh and that's kind of what I do and that's who the character starts there begins there I start to really feel like this is the way she walks this is the way she does this Mm. uh and and then once I move into the rehearsal process and the other actors are there with me, then it fleshes out even more. Mm. Was that how you always approached a new show, or is that something that you, did you feel like that was like an expectation? No, I always, I've always learned it first. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to memorize lines, like I could memorize an entire script in two days wow. when I was younger, but um, now it takes two weeks. But, um, <laughs> but it's... Uh, it's always been the way I create a character. And that's probably because I didn't study acting early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was my own teacher and my own, you know, my own imagination took this person over. Yeah. I seldom would look into it for years. I would not look into a mirror ever while I was rehearsing other than I would quickly comb my hair or I would maybe put a little makeup on if I had an audition or something. Mm. But I wouldn't register anything because I didn't want to not, I didn't want to see that person because that's not who I saw as that character. Wow. That's yeah. so cool. I've never, think that you do you physically feel Different, yeah. yeah. I, I, I will physically feel different. And, and because I play women, you know, f- anywhere from 70 to 90, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I started years ago. I started studying what they looked like, what, how, how do they lift themselves up when they have arthritis. And, and oh, they do that. They put their hands down. Like, and, and so I began to, because I kind of knew that my career would blossom a lot more at the older I got mm-hmm. because I'd always played older women. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that's kind of the way I've always worked. Wow. That's 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 the first I've ever I've heard of that that type of piece of the process avoiding yourself to an extent so you could live as authentically in what you were already cultivating right. through the script and in your brain. That's yeah, people would say to me, "Oh, oh, you're doing something that's Irish now." And I'd say, "Why?" Well, mm-hmm. because that's all you do is mm-hmm. speak with that accent. <laughs> <laughs> And drink Irish Irish whiskey. And drink Irish whiskey, yeah. yes. Well, no. 
I just want to say, Billy, this has been a lot of fun. It's, I'm so glad you were able to be with us today and to, to learn about your history. You are an important piece to, in my opinion, the, the Colorado theater community. I've, you've been there since I first auditioned with my, <laughs> uh, with fly, my open. fly open. And it's, you know, the, she's always been doing work and always been at the, at the, at the helm of projects. And it, you know, I've always looked up to you and to have you here is a great honor. So thank you so much. Billy. Oh, thank you. I'm honored. No, well, that's it for episode 88 of the ghost sites podcast. Our guest again was Billy McBride, Dan, do the damn thing. Fantastic. So this is the story I wanted to tell you. My second career audition was at the Arvada Center. And you were directing... A play, a two-hander about two baseball coaches. I think Tom Barillo would be one of the parts. So I walk in. This is my second career audition, and I walk in, and they, it's going to be in a big theater, um, not like the black box, so, but it's like right when you walk in on the second floor or something. Mm-hmm. You have to go. The great big theater yeah, where yeah. they do the musicals. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those are the ones with the, you know, the musicals. And so I walk in there, and I walk in, and I introduce myself, and and I. Begin my monologue, which is, I think, from, I can't remember now. Anyway, I started talking, and I, the first two words come out, and I've, and I've already gone up. I've messed up. And so I, I stop, and I'm like, I'm sorry, can I begin again? And you're like, absolutely, Sam, of course. And as I'm about ready to like take a nice, deep, dramatic, deep breath and get right back into it again, I notice that you put your pen down. <laughs> So, like, I mean, this is like literally second audition after I've I've, I've graduated college. So, I'm like, I'm green as all hell, and I get through the monologue, and it's okay. And you're like, thank you very much, Sam. We'll be in touch. And I leave, and I get in my car, and I'm driving home, and I'm like berating myself for stopping and you know starting over again. And then I get home, and I realize that my fly has been down <laughs> the entire time. And so I, there I am, starting and stopping, doing this this monologue in this big theater for Billy McBride, and I'm just like, just out, <laughs> just out. And I was like, oh, multiple reasons as to why I probably will not hear back about this piece. Anyway, that was, that was I've a, always been fond of you, Sam. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You bring everything to the audition. I do. I do. I really do. Sometimes more than anyone ever would have asked for. It. Or less than, depending on your perspective of things. Oh, no. That was a penis joke. I'm sorry. Right. That was uncouth. Okay. <laughs>